Thank you. Good evening, family. My name is Mwiti, and I am the Willows Discipleship Pillar Leader. Um, it is my honor and privilege to be sharing the word with you guys. And in honor of Father's Day, I've prepared something amazing for you guys. There we go. This is where true comedy can be found. At the intersection, for those of you who don't know, um, this is called a Venn diagram. Um, and so at the intersection of the two sex circles where on the one side is dad and on the other side is jokes, that is where the magic happens right there in the middle. Um, and so I've prepared a couple of dad jokes for you guys. Uh, they're amazing. So the first one, uh, I hate when my wife gets mad at me for being lazy. It's not like I did anything. I married my wife for her looks, though not the one she's been giving me lately. <laughs> um, my wife also just yelled at me and said, you jerk. You haven't listened to a single word I've, I've said, have you? And I thought to myself, what a strange way to start a conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what a privilege and honor it is to be a dad. Uh, it's exhausting to be honest with you as well, but it's great, it's amazing. Um, and I just want to also give honor to Caitlin, uh, who was here uh, with the saxophone on stage. Come on, it was the first time. Come on. Uh, it was so great to hear a saxophone. I was just like, yeah, no, now we're going to experience the presence. Now. <laughs> it's going to take us into the presence. Um, so, this week we are kicking off our new sermon series called Encounters with God. Um, and I will be preaching from Genesis chapter 2 verses 25 to Genesis, uh, to Genesis chapter 3 verses, verses 13. Um, and the reason why we're doing encounters with God is because, you know, we can encounter God, meaning we can meet with the living God. Is that our faith is not one where we just hear the words of God through the, the Bible, but we can hear the words of God from God himself, uh, him speaking it to us. And a lot of the times we're afraid of hearing from God or experiencing God simply because we feel like it's weird and it's strange um, and it's something that is quite mystic. But the, the Bible is filled with so many encounters that it is hard for us to ignore it. And if we choose to ignore it, it will be foolish because it is part of our intimacy with the Lord. Um, I have a friend, uh, his wife, uh, he's, so he's a pastor in Joburg, and his wife just shared a testimony of how she and her family got saved. They were asleep one evening, um, and then uh, in the middle of the night, and it's dark, right, because it's the middle of the night, and they're asleep. And then there was a bright light that came from the passage. Like, the light was so bright that everyone in the house woke up and went into the passage to figure out, what is this light and what is going on? And as soon as the whole family entered the passage, all they heard was, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And immediately, the entire family surrendered their lives to God. And they're like, we have to follow this God, because God revealed himself. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at different ways that God reveals himself. And the first encounter we'll be looking at is the one in Genesis. Um, so are you guys with me there in Genesis? Chapter 2, verse 25. Could you please stand as you read the word?
says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruits of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us clearly through your word. And I pray this evening that you would speak through me. That whatever ideas, whatever thoughts I have would be surrendered to you. That you, Holy Spirit, would be the one to speak in and through me, Father. May we hear your voice, not just my voice, but may we hear your voice, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. So, we see there's three things that are happening um, in, in, in this text. Um, and so, there's three questions that we ought to be asking. Um, the first question is, where, is, where was the serpent? The second question, where are you? And the third question is, where is God? Because there's a, a variety of things happening here. And so this scripture takes place after the creation. Uh, and so one of the things about the, the Bible that I personally struggle with is telling time, right? Um, because everything seems to happen so jam-packed. And then you find that in the space of three pages, you've gone through someone's entire life, yet it felt like it was two weeks uh, worth of events that were happening. And so even with this, the, the, the creation story, it's so easy for us to assume that this event happened on day eight uh, of creation, right? Because in Genesis chapter one, it details the seven days of creation. Uh, seventh day, God rested. And then on day eight, uh, God breathed life into the man. And then we jump into the story and we're thinking, no, it's been eight days that this has happened. Um, and then all of a sudden, we introduce to the serpent and we see the serpent for the first time. And we're thinking that's the first encounter that humanity had with the serpent. But no, it wasn't. There was actually a period of time where this was happening to a point where humanity was well aware that the serpent was crafty. That the serpent had a, a different way of doing things compared to all the other animals in the field. So even humanity had a relationship with the serpent. And so to be crafty is someone who is skilled at manipulating situations or people to their advantage. So when the author says that the serpent was crafty, it wasn't just they saw the serpent and they thought, ooh, you must be crafty. No, they had an experience of the serpent being crafty. And so they were very well aware. And this is happening for a period of time. And so then there's a specific encounter where we get to see the serpent's craftiness in action, right? And so... One of the things that we ought to be aware of is that 
in our relationship with God, there are three voices that we'll always hear. The first voice is the voice of God, and we can usually use the word of God to affirm if that voice we're hearing is the voice of God. The second voice is our voice. Um, that's the one we hear most of the time. But there's also that third voice that always speaks doubt, that speaks negativity. Um, that's the voice of the enemy. And so we ought to be able to discern when we hear a voice, which voice are we hearing? Are we hearing the Lord's voice? Are we hearing the enemy's voice? Or are we just hearing our voice? Uh, I've been in ministry for a couple of years. And one of the things, um, the most dangerous thing you can do with me is to come and tell me and you say, God said, right? Um, I believe God speaks, right? And so I will definitely hold you accountable to the fact that when you said God said, that's what God said. Uh, it's very rare that we've seen in scripture that God changes his mind, right? So now, for instance, someone would come, just hypothetically speaking, please don't do this. It's, it's a terrible thing to do. Just don't do it. I'm just using this as an example. Someone will come um, and they'll say, uh, for example, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying, Leletu is my wife. And then people are going to be like, oh, okay, that's great, right? And then guy pursues Leletu, pursues, pursues, pursues. Then Leletu is like, nah, nah. I don't want you. <laughs> I don't want you. Um, and then you come to me and then you say, no, um, no, God wasn't saying that uh, Leletu is my wife, but God was actually saying that Tatiana is my wife. And then I'm going to be like, hold up. <laughs> Whose voice are you listening to? Because there's too many things happening all at once. One week is this person. One week is this other person. God must be very confused. But God is not confused because simply because there are many voices that we hear. And the enemy's voice is one of those voices. And so how we, so here are two things in how we can um, discern the voice of the enemy. Because the enemy is alive. The enemy is crafty. The enemy is working. Right? And I know a lot of times we don't want to focus um, on the enemy. I'm not asking you guys to focus on the enemy. But be aware that there is opposition in our faith. We're not doing our faith in isolation, but there is opposition. In the same way in sports, when you compete, there's an opposition that you are competing against. And so we ought to be aware of the tactics and the schemes of the enemy so that we can prevail whatever the enemy throws at us. So here are two ways uh, in which we can discern what the enemy is saying, right? So two things um, that, that the enemy does, um, three things actually, sorry, three things. Is number one is that it challenges God's credibility as a lawgiver. The second thing is that the enemy expresses disagreement with God's nature and God's word. And the whole enemy's objective is sowing doubt into our relationship with God. The enemy does not want to take you out in one fell swoop. That's, that's not his desire. Because it is easy to spot that out. If someone is going to come and try and kill you, it's going to be easy. You'll see it coming from a mile away. You'll be able to prepare yourself. But the enemy's goal is to keep us distracted from the Lord. One thing after the other. If we are, are, are walking in this direction, right? And, and there's our target. That my target is to get off the stage over there. This is where the Lord said I must go. The enemy will do his best to throw things my way. So when I get off the stage, I get off over here. Because he's just diverting my attention. He's just busy throwing things my way, right? So how did the enemy challenge God's credibility uh, in the scripture, right? So the first thing he says is... In verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, did God actually say, right, when he does that, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. The enemy is very crafty that he focuses on the restrictions to your freedom and not your freedom. What did God actually say? 
When we go to chapter 2, verse 16, it says the following. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So the, the first commandment that we were given was not a commandment of restriction, but it was freedom. God said, I have created all these trees. They have fruit and you can eat of all of them. All of them. Just don't eat of this one tree. So imagine uh, all of you, most of you here drive cars and have a driver's license. Imagine there were no laws at all. No stop sign, no robots, no yield, no circle, no rights of way, nothing, 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 right? Imagine the chaos that would be on our roads if there were no laws at all. Would we even get to where we are going? What is the point of driving? A lot of people have gotten admission in, Africa, in some African nations, Kenya, uh, Malawi, uh, Uganda, and the traffic there is a nightmare simply because people don't adhere to the rules of the road. They adhere to their own rules. And here's the truth about freedom is that true freedom without restriction is anarchy because everyone can define what is right for them. There is no law that governs all of us. We see this with taxi drivers in our countries, that they have their own set of laws that seem to govern them, right? Um, we have a K-53, they have a K-52. <laughs> and so we see how frustrating it is when we are on the road and they are not adhering to the law that we are all are called to adhere. Um, I don't know if any of you live on that side, Silver Lake side, uh, but recently, I don't know why, but there's traffic all of a sudden um, on Linwood Road heading towards Silver Lakes. And the chaos, uh, when you get to the end of Linwood Road and Solomon Mahlangu, there's two lanes that go forward, there's two lanes that turn right. And now people have decided that they are gonna use the third lane as a straight lane. It's not, you're supposed to turn on that lane, but now people are using it to go straight, right? The chaos that ensues there is simply because they are now using their own law to do their own thing. And that's putting people who are using the second lane in danger now. because. My freedom says I am supposed to go this way, just go straight. I'm not supposed to worry about something that's on the side, but now people have to worry about what's coming from the side. And so we see that without restriction, there is no freedom. It's just anarchy. It's just going to cause chaos. And the enemy is very smart in that he doesn't focus on the freedom that you have in Christ. He focuses on the limitations to the freedom that they exist. And in that moment, you think, because I have a limitation to my freedom, the conclusion we draw is that we are not free. And that's not the reality of the situation. It's like you coming to church on a Sunday and we say, hey guys, you can sit anywhere in the family room. Anywhere. Just don't sit in that room. Right? For very practical reasons. That is a storage room. If you are sitting in that room, you won't be part of the service. You won't be able to see the lyrics on the stage. You won't be able to follow the sermon slides. You won't be able to see the announcers. You won't, for practical reasons. But does this mean that because everyone is sitting here that you aren't free to worship and experience God? No. The reason why there's restrictions to our freedom is because there are places and spaces where we can truly experience freedom. That outside of that, there is no freedom. It is just bondage that we are putting ourselves in. And so the enemy is very smart at challenging God's credibility as a lawgiver. That you start to think that surely God is not good. Surely I shouldn't be following and obeying God's laws. And you focus on the restriction 
and you do your best to live in this restriction, not knowing that you're exchanging freedom for imprisonment. One of the things that our generation struggles with is sex before marriage, right? It is a law that has been given for our benefit. Guys, sex and marriage is amazing. You can have it anytime, <laughs> within reason. <laughs> anytime, within reason. Jonathan, it's been going great, right, since you just got married. <laughs> so, <coughs> but for those of us here who've experienced sex outside of marriage, one of the things that happens is that in that moment where you, you are being free, where you, you're, not, you're rebelling against God and you are doing your own thing, afterwards, do you really feel free? Because if you are being honest with yourself, there is a shame that comes. There's a shame that just washes over you where you feel dirty, where you feel defiled, where you feel very exposed. And that's not how we're supposed to feel. It's, I love how this text starts off with Genesis 2.25. It says, they were naked and unashamed. So being naked is not something that's worth shame. It's just the fact. You're just naked. It is what it is, right? It's not supposed to lead to shame. But then in those moments when we, we have premarital sex, there's a lot of shame that enters into that picture, which tells us that what we are doing isn't freeing at all, but it's actually leading us further into bondage. And we think that the more we do it, the more we'll experience freedom. No, we're experiencing even more and more bondage to a point where we think that's how life ought to be. And we start to define a whole moral code around a restriction. When there is so much freedom for us that God has for us. Another amazing thing that the, I mean, another thing that the, the enemy does is he, he expresses disagreement with God's nature and God's word. So the enemy says this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But here's the weird thing. When God created humanity, he said, I will create humanity in my image and in my likeness. So they are like God. They don't have to eat the fruits to be like God because they already are. Right? It's weird. God said, you are in my image and in my likeness. But then the enemy says, no, in order to be in God's image and likeness, you have to do this. But you are already in God's image and likeness. And then whenever we see the word no in the Bible, we must know that it means experiential knowledge. It's not just the head knowledge. Um, it's an experiential knowledge. And it says, so you will know good and evil. But God is ultimate good, right? So that means Adam and Eve have an experiential knowledge of God's goodness. But evil cannot exist in God's presence because he is so good, he's so pure, he's so holy that evil can just not exist. It's like bleach. You know, bleach kills 99.9999% of all germs as soon as it enters into it. It's the same with God. That if any evil, any presence, because of how holy he is, because of how good it is, it'll immediately be killed and it won't exist. And so the serpent tempts them with knowing good and evil when they already know good and there is no room for them to know evil. There's no room at all because evil cannot exist in his presence. And a lot of the time we focus on wanting to know good and evil that we don't know that what we're exchanging in that moment is we're giving up good and we're going to live in evil. 
And so everything we do, everything we're experiencing is from the point of evil. A lot of us, although we enjoy social media, but we know there is something inherently wrong with social media. It's, it's nice, it's fun. There's memes. You know, I found the dad jokes on social media. Amazing. <coughs> we live our lives on it. You know, there's certain conveniences that it has afforded us. It's easy for us to now build relationships online. It's easy for us to contact people, right? Imagine you had to send a, an urgent message. Back in the day, you had to write a letter. That time that message is urgent, you don't reach that person. But now, because of social media, there is that goodness that we can send an urgent message and people receive it within a reasonable amount of time. But now, when, but now there's something just inherently wrong where all of a sudden we feel like we need to get our validation from it. That the amount of likes that we get from the, the post says it all, says a lot about who we are as people. But our identity is not based in what people say on social media, but our identity is based on the fact that we are image bearers of God. Because God said, I am creating you in my image and my likeness. And I am good, I am holy, I am merciful, I am righteous. And that is the image that you ought to portray. No human can define your identity for you. You can't even define your own identity for yourself because God is the one who defines identity. And so what the enemy does is that he's very smart in challenging the fact that he disagrees with God's nature, he disagrees with God's word, and he starts to define things for himself. And that sows doubt in our relationship with God. I remember one of the things, when I started dating my wife, um, is that I heard from God, God said, this is your wife, this is who you should marry, right? And me being me, and I was like, okay, if this is you, God, there's no one else. You've spoken, it is very clear. But I remember there was an anxiety that I was experiencing in my soul um, a couple of weeks into dating my wife where I just felt like, did God really say that she's my wife? Did God really say I'm supposed to be with her? But that was simply because in that moment I was listening to the voice of the enemy. And all of a sudden now I had doubts in my relationship with God. I said, God, is this the person that you set aside for me? And if I continued entertaining the voice of the enemy, anything uh, uh, weird that happens in my relationship or anything that I don't disagree with, like, for instance, my wife gives me attitude um, at the time, right? Because as people, we are flawed. We, we give each other attitude. If she gave me attitude, I was going to be like, no, I'm out. Clearly, you are not from the Lord, right? <laughs> because we have this image that if God gives us something, it needs to be perfect, 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 perfect. No sin, no nothing. But anyway, we experience sin. But if I listened to the voice of the enemy, I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't have the kids that I have now. I wouldn't be living in the blessings that God had prepared for me beforehand. And my relationship with God would be doughty. I mean, it would be shaky because there's doubts that's been sowed in. And so everything that God say, would say afterwards, I would have doubted because the seed was already sowed. And I entertained it. Let's look at how the woman responded to these things, right? So... Uh, she says the following. Sorry, I'm just trying to find. Oh, she said, um, the serpent asked, did God really say you shall not eat of the fruits uh, of the tree in the garden? And then the woman responds to us, we may eat of the fruits of the trees, but God said, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruits of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So the serpent's tricks and schemes worked because even in Eve's response, she focused on the restriction and didn't emphasize the freedom that she has. 
we see in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted by the serpent again in the desert after fasting for 40 days. Jesus was hungry. I don't know if you guys have fasted for anything longer than three days without eating. By day four, you want to eat because you are just hungry. You feel so empty. So for 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, when the serpent came and challenged God and said, I see you are hungry. I see you want food. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus' response was, it is written that we shall not live on bread alone, but we shall live from every word from the mouth of God. He focused on the freedom that is in Christ. He didn't focus on the restriction. Because if he had said, oh, yeah, God said we shouldn't eat bread, and just left it there, then the, the serpent had a doorway to enter and to continually challenge God's authority over Jesus. But Jesus focused on the freedom that he had in God. And when the enemy comes and when the enemy challenges you, don't focus on the restriction. Focus on the freedom that is in you. I mean, that Christ has given you. And that's how the woman responded. And so then the next, oh, then um, the result of the response is that she took the fruit. She looked at it. She examined it. Is that she experienced the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. All of a sudden, when she had focused her life, seeing that God is good, God is the ultimate source of goodness, when she looked to the serpent, the serpent had nothing to offer. And so what's the next best thing? She had to look at the fruit. And all of a sudden to her, the, the fruit looked appealing. She experienced a lust of the flesh because she felt like if I eat this fruit, it will satisfy the hunger that is within me. But before that, she had never experienced it because she was simply satisfied with God's goodness. She was satisfied with what God had to offer. And there was nothing to tempt her because her focus was primarily on God. Then all of a sudden, she also experienced the lust of the eyes where all of a sudden, this fruit is a delight to the eyes. The fruit wasn't a delight to the eyes because she was looking at God. And she saw true beauty in the Lord. And the Lord was her delight. But all of a sudden, this fruit, because she looked at the serpent. I don't know if you guys have seen a snake, but... That thing does not look good. She, she sees the snake and she sees there's nothing of beauty in here. Therefore, what's the next best thing that's in the serpent's presence is the fruit. And so she starts to think this fruit is good for me to eat. Not only that, but she thought that the fruit would make her wise because God is the ultimate source of knowledge. God knows all things. Did you know God cannot learn anything? Because he knows everything there is to be known. And so we are the ones who are always learning because we don't know everything there is to know about everything. But God knows everything. But then when she saw the serpent, she realized that the serpent has nothing to offer in terms of wisdom. Therefore, she looked to the fruit and figured out the fruit is most likely to make me wise. But she didn't know she has all this. She knew that she had all this access. But because she stopped focusing on the Lord and started focusing on the serpent, all of a sudden the fruit was appealing. The fruit was something that we ought she felt that I need this and it will make me wise. And sometimes we look at the popular voices on social media and we think if we follow their wisdom, if we follow their way of doing things, it will make us wise. But the Lord is the one who actually knows all things because he cannot learn anything new. All knowledge comes from the Lord. If you look throughout the Bible, you'll see that God is the one who introduces modern architecture. He introduces how to build boats. Um, he introduces a lot of things. 
that we get to live in and experience today simply because he's the one who has given us that knowledge to be able to live that out. You're studying at Tux. You're studying at another university in the city. And they even aren't the ultimate source of knowledge because they don't know all things. They're still learning. They're still discovering. That's why there's lots of money going into research because people want to know more about the world that we're living in. But the Lord knows everything about the world that we're living in. And then they've eaten the fruit. All of a sudden, they realize that they are naked. They realize that they're exposed. That one, this thing of being naked, which meant nothing, absolutely nothing, all of a sudden is a hindrance to the relationship with God. <coughs> and so they, 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 they take leaves and they sew them together and they make clothes for themselves to hide their most intimate parts and then they hide behind a tree, right? I don't know if you guys have tried making clothes with material. It is quite difficult. But imagine with leaves, just sewing the leaves together, the amount of effort that it took to hide their nakedness. And there's nothing wrong, as we saw earlier on, with being naked. But all of a sudden, they felt like there's something wrong with being naked. Therefore, they had to hide their nakedness. And that's the effort we also take with hiding our nakedness from the people around us. Hiding the struggles. Hiding the shame that we experience. The one thing shame doesn't want is to be exposed. And so shame continually puts us into hiding. The reason why... That we, we have the saying, check on your friends, guys. You know, usually when something traumatic happens or someone kills themselves um, or someone's not doing well, there's always this thing of, guys, you need to check on your friends. You need to make sure your friends are okay. It's because the power of shame is that powerful that people will go into hiding and not want to bring their deepest parts of their hearts to uh, bring their parts forward. And so they will hide. They'll do whatever it takes. They'll hide with being busy in the academics. Hide being busy with work. Hide with being busy uh, with, with just life. Simply because they don't want to expose their hearts. They don't want to expose the nakedness that's within their souls. Not knowing that when you expose your nakedness within a family, you will be covered by the love, by the grace, by the mercy that's in um, a church family. And then the Lord asked them, where are you? Where are you? My presence is everywhere. There's nowhere where my presence does not touch. There's nowhere where my presence cannot reach. But all of a sudden, uh, I mean, I am in this garden. My presence is filled in this garden. Adam and Eve, you guys are in the garden. You guys are here in the garden, but you guys are not in my presence. So where are you? And that's something that's so hard to comprehend. Imagine we're sitting here in this room. God's presence is filled in this room. There's nowhere that it's not touching. But because of decisions we have made to look at the enemy, to focus on the enemy, to fall for the deception of the enemy, we exit the presence of God. Even though we are in the same room with God, we are not in his presence. One of the joys of fatherhood is losing my kids in the house. Um, where <laughs> is where I'll be sitting um, and I know that my daughter's in the house because I'm in the house. And my daughter doesn't go outside the house without supervision. So she's in the house. She's there. She's with me. But she, uh, uh, her presence is not here near me. And so I always call out to her, Uminati, Uminati. Then she comes running, behaving, uh, uh, pretending as though she wasn't causing chaos in the other room. Right? But I was aware that she's not in my presence, but she is here. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went shopping at uh, Pick and Pay. 
and my wife was like, wait here, let me just go get something quickly. I'll be right back. And for 15 minutes, I was waiting, and I'm like, there's no ways. Something weird is going on here. So then I started going up the aisle, just looking. I'm like, where is this woman? Where are you? I know you are in pick and pay, because I'm in pick and pay. I have the car key, so you couldn't have left. <laughs> but where are you? You are not in my presence. And it's with that in mind that the Lord is asking humanity and saying, where are you? My presence is here. My presence is filling the room. But where are you? Because you are not in my presence. Let's pause here and let's talk about trees a bit. So, trees. Um, here's the thing about trees. Is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, God created trees. Um, and with trees, uh, it became fruit um, and the seed bearing fruit. So he said, oh no, it's not there, sorry. Yes, Genesis chapter 1, 11 to 12. He spoke into existence to say, let there be trees that are going to bear fruit so that people can eat. And these fruits are going to have seeds and you can eat them, right? So one thing that trees represent is life and fruitfulness. The second thing, in Genesis 2 verse 9, um, God puts the tree of knowledge in good and evil. And so this tree represents uh, knowledge and choice. Um, so one thing that we see is that life comes from God because God spoke life into existence. He formed Adam uh, from the mud, breathed life into him, and then he was alive. Faithfulness, I mean, fruitfulness comes from God because he commands fruitfulness. So he saw that he commanded the trees to bear fruit. He commanded huma humanity to have lots of sex and to make many babies, right? And then we also see that knowledge comes from God, but choice comes from God, and he has given choice to us. So, those are the things that trees represent. Life and fruitfulness, fruitfulness, knowledge, and choice. And then when God asks Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding behind a tree. All of a sudden, this tree that represents God speaking life, God's commanding fruitfulness, all of a sudden, I'm going to find my shelter and my protection in this tree and not in the Lord. The Lord is the one where life comes from. The Lord is the one where fruitfulness comes from. But all of a sudden, Adam and Eve felt like life and fruitfulness comes from trees and not from him. All of a sudden, they realized that knowledge comes from trees. They thought knowledge comes from trees, but knowledge comes from God. And they decided they are going to hide behind a tree. And so there are many trees that we have built for ourselves, that we have planted for ourselves that we think are going to provide life for us. They're going to provide fruitfulness for us. They're going to provide knowledge for us. And the free will that the Lord has given us, we think that that is something, that is an idol for us to worship, that we will not obey God because I have final say over my life. And one of the things about free will is that how do you know your wife loves you, Abraham, is because your wife chose you. Imagine if Rebecca was forced to marry you. It would be a disaster. You wouldn't know if she loves you or not. There would be a lot of insecurity in your soul because you were not chosen. She was forced upon you. It's the same with our relationship with God, is that God will not force you to obey him at all. You don't have to obey God. God has given you the choice to obey him or not. But know that when you disobey him, when you dis, uh, define good and evil for yourself, then you will have to plant trees for yourself, where you will find your life, where you'll find your fruitfulness, where you'll find your knowledge from, rather than finding all of it in God. Romans 1, 21 to 23 says the following. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Initially, when the enemy was engaging them, they were hidden in the presence of God, and so it was difficult for them to disobey God. <coughs> it was easy for them to surrender their free will to the Lord because they trusted the Lord. They were in his presence. And as soon as they left the Lord's presence, something else had to fill the gap that God left. And the things that God created filled that gap. What things that God created are filling that gap that God is supposed to be in? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it relationships? Is it your purpose? All these things come from God. They are not supposed to replace God. So we looked at where is the serpent. We looked at where is where are we in relation to God's presence. And lastly, we're looking at where is God. So the answer to this question is very simple. Where is God? God is here. God is there. God is everywhere. God's presence is filling this place. But because we have made decisions to disobey God, because we have made decisions to not surrender our free will to the Lord, we are outside of God's presence, even though God's presence is here. It is so easy for us to come to church and it'd be another amazing Sunday experience without encountering God. You can even encounter, you don't have to be at church to encounter God. You can encounter God in your car. You can encounter God in your room. You can encounter God at home because God's presence is everywhere. But are you aware that he is with you? Are you aware that God is closer than you think? Psalm 139 verse 7 to 12 says the following. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your righteousness and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. And the psalmist had something figured out here. That even when I try and stray from God's presence, God's presence is there. Even when I, I try to do things for myself, wherever I go, I cannot escape the unshakable reality. That whatever I do, wherever I go, whatever I say, God's presence is there with me. A few years ago, uh, we had uh, uh, Pastor Jim Lafoon, who is the prophetic leader for every nation uh, global and he was doing a, a training um, of the school of supernatural empowerment where we are learning to live by the empowerment of God and there was a moment where he was praying with me um, just to help me deal with all my sin in my life um, and there were specific moments where I was like God and he told me to ask God difficult questions one of the questions I asked God is that God when my father disowned me where were you and the Lord said I was there. It's just that you weren't aware that I was there. My presence was with you in that time. It's just that you were not in my presence. I was calling out to you, but you could not hear me because your focus wasn't on me. 
It was on the lie that you are not worthy of love. It was on the lie that you are abandoned simply because of your father disowning you. Again, I asked the Lord in another moment where I was sexually abused as a child and I was like, God, when I was being raped, where were you? The Lord said, I was there. My heart was breaking. As I saw someone defile you in that manner, my heart was breaking and I was there. And all of a sudden, I started asking God about different moments and different events in my life and asking, God, where were you? And the response was always the same. I was there. All of a sudden, there was a sudden realization that what the word says is true, is that it's not just words in a book, but these words are life. That there is nothing I can do outside of the presence of God because God is always there. And even as a believer, when I sin, I am grieving his presence. I am grieving the Holy Spirit because he is aware that he has so much more to offer than the lie that we are believing in that moment. There's so much more to offer than the deception that the, that the serpent is leading us into. There's so much more than the lie of thinking that we can do things by our own wisdom and our own strength because he is ultimately good. And so this evening, I'm going to have a moment where we are going to hear from the Lord. Can you turn the lights off, please? And there's no pressure here. The pressure isn't on you to hear from God. Hear me out. The pressure is on God to reveal himself to you. Because there is nothing you can do to put yourself in the presence of God. But it is God is the one who's supposed to reveal his presence to you so you can enter his presence once he's revealed it. It's like me asking you, hey, um, enter the family hall, yet you do not know where the door is, and you keep looking and searching for the door. It's going to be a very frustrating thing to a point where you give up and you want to just step away altogether because you're like, I am not finding the entrance. But when the entrance, someone shows you that, hey, there's the entrance, it will be so much easier to enter the family hall. It's the same with the presence of God, that even though the presence of God is here with us, he must show you that, hey, I am here, this is how you enter my presence. So the pressure isn't on you. The pressure is on the Lord to reveal himself to you. And so with your eyes closed, I want you all, just take a deep breath. In through your nose, hold it, and then out through your mouth. There's nothing spiritual about this. Um, I'm just asking you to breathe so you can be calm and be relaxed. <laughs> There's nothing spiritual about it. Anyway. So in through your nose, deep breath in through your nose. Hold it for a few seconds and then release it out through your mouth. And I want you to ask this question of the Lord as you are just taking in a deep breath and as you are breathing out. Ask God, God, where are you? And how we hear the Lord speak is that we may hear an audible voice. We may feel a certain way, you may feel like a hug around you, you may feel warm, you may feel like all of a sudden you can see colors that never existed there may be a sense of knowing when all of a sudden you know something that you didn't know before but you know that you know that you know it or there will be a peace a peace that you have never felt to experience before and so those are some of the ways that the Lord speaks to us or you might have a scripture that the Lord will lay on your heart or the Lord will, will put a song in your heart So ask God, God, where are you? And just be open to hear him speak.
precious not only means on earth. Heavenly Father, I come to you as a son and I ask that you reveal yourself to each and every single person sitting here. Reveal the great love that you have. May they have an encounter with you that will not end here, but this is an encounter that can, they can have in their home. They can have this encounter as they drive, as they study, as they work. They can have this encounter. Father, I ask that you reveal to people where it is they are hiding. Which tree are they hiding behind? As they ask where you are, reveal to them where they are hiding, where they are in relation to your presence. One of the, the trees that are common for most people is the tree of self-sufficiency. Where you believe that you have gotten yourself this far and it's only through your efforts, it's only through your striving, it is only through your doing that you will succeed. It is only through yourself that you'll be able to get out of the situation that you'll find yourself in. is calling you to come out of that tree and be dependent on him to be the one to lead you to be the one to guide you to be the one to set you free to be the one to bring change in your life his grace is sufficient for you his power can set you free his power can bring change his his, his presence will bring life presence will bring joy and delight. 